Hello, this is Jeff Vanderstelt, Executive Director of Saturate and host of the Saturate podcast. Saturate exists to serve and equip leaders to start and strengthen unified gospel city movements that lead to gospel saturation, to the end that every man, woman, and child has repeated opportunities to meet Jesus through his church on mission everywhere, every day. We believe this is going to require, as Jesus prayed in John 17, that the church is united and collaborating in the region they live in around five key initiatives, citywide prayer, leader health, disciple-making strategies, serving the city together, and starting new churches and new kingdom initiatives. Presently, we're spending an extended amount of time on the initiative of leader health because it's just absolutely important for everything else to happen. We've got to have healthy leaders who are attending to their own uh, spiritual, emotional, relational health. And more specifically, we're going to get to spend some time with a very dear friend of mine who's had a huge impact on my life, not just personally, but through the, the work that he's done with Tin Man Ministries, Jeff Schulte. Uh, Jeff Schulte is the founder and president of Tin Man Ministries. Uh, he also has been a pastor and church planner, led a church from four people to over 4,000 with over two 2,000 adults in, in groups like Missional Communities, and so has a, a similar heartbeat to uh, the Somo family of churches and the Saturate work that we're doing. And his real passion is to really help ministry leaders, church leaders, and just leaders in general uh, learn how to travel that long distance, those 18 inches from your head to your heart. And so I'm just so thankful to have Jeff here. I know that Without the work of Tin Man, I, I wouldn't be able to say a lot of the things I'm saying about the, the need for our hearts to be attended to, because I've personally been impacted and transformed through the work that God uh, has done with Tin Man. So Jeff, I'm so glad to have you here. So thankful you're giving us some time, and I know people are going to be blessed by the words you share. Would you please tell us a little bit more about yourself and yeah. then Tin Man Ministries and how it even came into existence? Uh, man, Jeff, it is great uh, to be on here with you in particular. Um, grateful for the friendship God has given, not just me with you, but even with Tin Man, with Soma, with Saturate. Um, you know, I'm pretty convinced. I've been in vocational ministry over 40 years, um, and I'm really convinced over, I, I think I've always believed this, but the older I get, the more I believe it, that, that change really happens in small places um, because you need a small place to be an intimate space. Um, there's the illusion of intimacy in a big room, um, but there's no intimacy in a big room. Um, and change doesn't happen in a big room. And I think the American church in particular has bought into a model that we think we can educate people into life change. Mm. You know, if I can change the way you think, it'll change the way you live. And so we line people up like the traditional educational structures of America. We put you in rows. Okay. Uh, we put a book in your hand and maybe a notebook, like you're in a classroom and we teach you and we teach you stuff and you pack that stuff into your brain and you walk out and try to live it. And the problem is, uh, what I think doesn't change the way I live. In fact, that's not even the gospel. Right. It not only ignores how God made us, but ignores the transformational power of the love of Christ. Yeah. That he is more than a thought or a truth. He is the truth. He's a person hmm. who made himself known through the word. But even the word isn't God. The word is God in Christ. But the, my Bible's not God. My Bible's a revelation of God about God. Yeah. But then the thing that will change me is a relationship with him. And then. If my ecclesiology or um, in layman's terms of what I believe about the church, is it all biblical, is that I can't change and relate to this God who loves me apart from being related to and learning how to be loved and loving members of that body. Yeah. Uh, the New Testament, when the New Testament, you can talk about this if you want, when the New Testament talks about the church being a body, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, a mystical body by analogy. It's a, it's a real body with a real head. And, and I won't unpack the Greek on that. I'll let someone else do that, but it's true. I'm just going to tell you, I, I could have done that today. I won't. Uh, people go to sleep on this podcast, but I want you to know there's a real head and a real body. And I don't get the head without the body, which now we're talking about the local church, which is the expression of this universal thing called the church. So I want you to know, like, like, like if I want to change, I, I have to 
being a local community in a small place where people know me and I know others and I can be loved by people to learn how to be loved by God. Mm. And, um, and that's where I, th- what I love about Soma in particular, it's so consistent with uh, and the work of saturate. so consistent with what I, I think is the anti-American church of let's just get a big room full of people. And if the, the crowd says success and I go, there's not a whole lot successful about a crowd. Um, mm. It just means that you can put on a great show. Um, and when, even when I was a pastor, uh, you know, we were doing small groups and meeting at six in the morning with groups of men before we even did a Sunday. And we, we never measured. It was not a big deal to me what Sunday looked like. Uh, the, the, the thing I measured was what was happening in Soma's version of missional communities. Mm-hmm. Who's in committed relationships and small group relationships where there's accountability and there's love and there's care and there's shepherding. And um, anyway, I just, I love what you guys are doing. I love that we get to partner with you. Um, and we have a particular bent toward not just, we work with any men and women um, in the body of Christ, but um, in particular, we've had a focus toward Christian leaders uh, because, in, you know, if you, if you impact the heart of a Christian leader, you impact not just his or her family, but you impact uh, an entire body of people they influence. Yeah. And so, and, and ironically, um, um, and this is part of my story is, um, gosh, this is crazy to say this, um, but it's true that many, it's just a kind of a function of what we've created is that many Christian leaders, they're ashamed that they need help. Uh, they don't know how to ask for help. Um, if they could ask for help, they wouldn't know where to ask for help. Yeah. And then if they do ask for help, they wouldn't have the resources to get it. And if yeah. I ask them to ask for help, I may lose my job. Which now oh, that's really the crazy thing. Yeah. 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 It's like an occupational hazard to actually be needy. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you unpack that for a second, okay, if you think about this front fundamentally, biblically, um, love by definition meets needs. Yeah. So if I can't be needy, if I, if I, if I had anyone who's listening to this podcast, ra- raise their hand where they're driving or sitting somewhere walking with, uh, 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 Apple deals in their ears or other. If I said, raise your hand if you want to be thought of as needy. Okay. I don't think I'd see very many hands up right now. And I can just tell you that that is the problem. And that's a problem that goes back to the garden, which the lie, the, the serpent was, you don't need God. You can live independently of him and have what he has. Yeah. And truth is the man and woman had everything they needed when they just knew they needed God and let God provide that for them. So they became ashamed of their neediness. We can talk about that in a few minutes, but um, you got uh, you got the situation where um, we, if we if we're not needy, we can't be loved. Right. No one can love a person that has no needs. And then we also know this: our capacity to love others is limited or expanded by our capacity to be loved. We only yeah. love because we've first been loved. So if I can't be needy, I shut everything down. I can't be loved, and then I really can't love. Yep. It all comes back to this thing called being in need. And I say even being needy. Well, that's the word we hate. And yet um, it's hard to be in a relationship with someone that doesn't have needs because you can't love them. Yeah. And that's what we're all ashamed of, especially leaders. I know there's biblical qualifications in the scriptures for leadership, but th- that qualification is not perfection. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So part of how 10 Man started not part of it. it's how Tim man started Tim man started out of my own story truthfully because i was one of those leaders of this fast-growing church then seven years went from nothing to quote-unquote something and i was never overwhelmed by the size and the scale of it because we used to always say i we used to always say the bigger we get the smaller we stay mm. uh, and i would always quote drucker peter drucker i'd always say uh, how big is too big and he would always say in his writing he would say the skeletal structure of an elephant is sufficient uh, so as long as we're structured to stay small and the people are getting their needs met in small places, it doesn't matter how big we get, but man, we were exploding. And in the middle of that, I was imploding mm. and the implosion to me wasn't the size of what we were or the scope of it. I mean, man, we, we were, I mean, this is, yeah, we, that, that never overwhelmed me. What overwhelmed me was the lack of emotional tools I had to talk about what was really going on inside me through that journey. Um, that I didn't know how to say I was afraid and I didn't know how to talk about my hurt 
and I didn't know how to grieve losses. Um, and then I even used, used the Bible out of context, to try to shame myself for having needs. Mm. And, um, uh, and so truthfully, what I knew in my head with all those seminary degrees, um, and all that Greek and Hebrew and everything else, it, none of that taught me how to do relationships. None of, that, none of that taught me how to be needy. In fact, in some ways, it made me almost more arrogant in my sense of that I'm not supposed to be in need. I'm supposed to be meeting every, everyone else's needs. Yeah. Uh, article just came out this week that 42% of ministers right now want to leave the pastorate. And that's up 13% from just a year ago. Wow. And anyone who's near retirement age it's a huge percentage that are trying to figure out, do they have enough in their 401k if they saved anything to retire now? Cause they would, if they could. And what they're talking about is that words like burnout, uh, a wearying of the soul, um, uh, that pastors are just exhausted. Okay. Uh, being pulled a million directions, uh, and just, they're just wore out mm. and they're wore out. So they want out. And, um, that's kind of where 10 man, for me, the where it came was I imploded personally. I won't tell the whole story here for time because I think I think it'd be good for us to talk about. But man, I just started leaking out sideways, Jeff, and uh, and then I went and got help. Mm-hmm. Now, in my case, when I got help, the help was to teach me how to be in need and how to talk about that need. Mm-hmm. Problem was, I had taught a leadership team and a taught I had taught good friends that um, that I didn't that I wasn't needy. And that I would always be like, I was like that Arnold Schwarzenegger figure from a Terminator movie that kind of, I get shot up 50 million times, but always Jeff Schulte's always going to get back up again um, and repair himself and keep plowing. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and man, I'm, I'm a human being. I was taking shots and finally I, I needed to go get some help. And I got the help and came out of 13 weeks in intense treatment. Crazy. That's how, that's how locked up I was. Wow. Uh, and I came out of that situation and sat in front of some brothers and I shared with them how needy I was and specifically some of the ways that I leaked out sideways, um, dealt with pornography, some things like that. Um, and that that's, that, that had been over the last 18 months or two years, sort of what was, was, a, was a not, it wasn't the reason for the implosion. It was my solution to the implosion. Um, um, hmm. but anyway, I, I, told the truth about myself. And, um, now in retrospect, I'll say this, if the consequences for self, for self-disclosure are the same as for being caught, most of us will wait to be caught. Yeah. And in my case, my case, it was self-disclosure and the consequences were as if I'd been caught and the church responded, uh, not in a very good way. Honestly, uh, they've since three years ago, this was all 17 years ago, but three years ago, they brought my whole family back beautifully and apologized to us for all what I'm about ready to say. So there's been huge redemption in this story, but, um, you know, I came out of a treatment center, sat down with a group of leaders and I told them, uh, where I'd been and what I'd been struggling with and what I'd worked on in treatment for 13 weeks. And they brought church, they started applying church discipline principles to a guy who'd been repenting for three and a half months. And, who was broken and in a healthier place than I've probably been my whole life. Mm-hmm. And they just, they just weren't equipped truthfully to know how to lead it. Again, they, yeah. again, they've owned that since publicly. I, I'm so grateful for that. But my point is this, um, most churches don't know what to do with a human leader or one that is struggling or what to do when he admits that he's struggling, which is why a lot of these guys end up leaving ministry because that's the only way out. I'm either going to leave honorably and quietly and say, oh, I think God's calling me to, to something else. But most, a lot of times that these guys, they want, they want out because they don't, they are, they're afraid that if they told the truth about something that was going on in their life, they'd be sent, they'd set packing unceremoniously and in disgrace publicly. Yep. And there's a whole lot of men and women out there, but I'm just going to speak to men for a second that got there's stuff going on. It's workaholism. It could be pornography, alcohol, um, food, um, uh, you name it. Um, that they're using to medicate their inability to deal with a life that doesn't work and uh, a neediness that they don't know what to do with. And that was my story. And fortunately I had some, a couple guys in particular that walked real close with me through that. Um, and what ended up happening was Jeff, I, I came through all that and I got beat up pretty bad. And, um, but I still love the local church and I still love Jesus <laughs> and I wasn't uh, bitter and um under a bridge or selling cars somewhere and i'm not against anyone that sells cars it's just the point being like i still 
I, I didn't necessarily need to be in ministry anymore, but um, which I find myself that I am again, but I just, um, I, my, I didn't lose my heart in it. Yeah. So guys started finding me and that's how Tim and started. Guys just started calling me going, Hey, tell me your story. I think you might be a safe place for me to tell you mine. I was, I listened and um, gosh, now we're, you know, we're working with Christian leaders in 50 States and six countries. Um, and we have a team of 25 men and women that have been trained to do this kind of work to walk with men and women through their stories. And so it just, and I didn't attempt, I didn't, I didn't, when I say this, I didn't plan any of that. I just, just thought I'm just going to live my life this way and be available to guys that need people to walk with them. I'm a licensed therapist now too, which helps me, but, um, um, I just realized I needed some training around an area that I think I was intuitively good at. So, yeah. um, what Tim Man does now is it walks with men and women, uh, in a safe, confidential place to help them, um, get the tools they need to learn how to live their life, which really means learning to live from not just the neck up, but like wholehearted. Yeah. Um, so I can go more on that, but I don't know if you want to. Put oh, me thanks in. so much. Yeah. I mean, I, I, more than anything, I wanted people just to be more aware of, of not only, not just your story, but what, what Tim man ministries is doing and what a blessing it can be for so many. And I, I think the question I wanted to ask next was, as we think about this, the, the need of our hearts, what, why is it so important, important to be attending to our hearts? Mm-hmm. Like, like you said, I, I mean, I think even the enlightenment, it's like, we, I think therefore I am completely, it's just absolutely wrong. It's like, yes. we're not, we're not brains on a stick. We're wholehearted people. We're more, more complex than that. And, and yeah, I know just in my own journey is waking up to the fact that my, I have a lot of needs and God's designed me to not only be needy, but to know my needs and make my needs known. And so as, as you have taught this so many times to so many people, how would you answer that? Why is it so important to attend to our hearts? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to work backward into that answer. Okay. And just say this, first of all, when we start from the premise that one of the implications of the fall is that we would not be in need, that we would, we would be, we would fight being in need with everything in us. Okay. That that is part of the, inherited nature we get in the fall that we're going to do this without God. And, and the whole Bible's full of stories of men and women that are trying to survive without needing God. Yeah. And I always say when I hold up my Bible, there's two pages to the left where life works. And there's two pages to the right of my Bible where life works. Everything in the middle is the struggle trying to make my life work without surrendering my life to God and to you. And I do that by building cisterns that won't hold water. It's called idolatry. I'll find ways to live to try to survive rather than to surrender my life to a God that loves me, knows me, and to tell the truth about myself to you or to him. Okay. Yeah. Um, but so let's just say that we're immediately, let's just start with the premise that we do not want to be in need. Well, once I shut down my neediness, what that Im- impacts is I have to shut down my feelings or at least wall them up, concrete over them, shove them down, push them under, wall off against them. Because if you have feelings, you're going to have needs. And if I can't be neat, I can't be in touch with my feelings. Now, to shut down my feelings, I'm going to have to shut down the truth about my story mm. in a post-Genesis 3 world. So I'm not going to see, I'm not going to see so I won't feel. And I'm certainly not going to speak about what I feel about what I see. Mm. And all that's to keep me from not being in need. And I just now describe denial. I don't see it. I don't feel it. And I don't speak about it. And it keeps me from being needy. Now that takes me back and I'll, I'll teach on this just for a second here. We all come into the world fallen, but we also come into the world with an expectation that we're going to belong and matter to somebody. Mm. Okay. And it's our greatest human need is to belong and matter. I, other words for that are attachment, connection, relationship. There's nothing I do or you do or anyone does. that's not an attempt to experience this thing in my chest that says I'm connected and I'm somehow made whole in my relationship with you. And that's me with you, but also me with God. Right. And, and I'll do, I'll do anything to try to replicate that sense of I'm connected and I belong. Even the Hebrew, uh, uh, Hebrew word for love that's most used hesed is talking about this attached, committed love that God as a father has for us. Okay. And he says, I love you like this way. And, 
and we fight it like orphans who don't know we're loved that way. Okay, I'm, I'm going to get off into that now. But let's just say we, we come into our greatest needs to belong in matter, yeah. and that's more than food or water. Okay, the assumption is if I belong in matter, I'm going to get the food and water. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bobby did some uh, research on this classic study, put some monkeys, we're well, not monkeys, but he put some monkeys in a cage with two mothers, a plush monkey mother that had no milk and a wire monkey that had a bottle of milk. And which, which mother do you think those monkeys went to the milk or the stuffed animal? They went to the, they went to the comfort, to the connection, yes. to something that felt like a mom. Yeah. And I will get the food if I belong to her. Okay, but that I know we're not monkeys, but we're we're made that way to go. I want to need to belong. I'll forego food and water to belong. Okay, yeah, and we're made to do that apart from performance. Like that, you just and and by the way, a child, a child just made beautifully, not ashamed of their neediness, and they ask for those needs to be met. I, I my four year old grandson's in my house this week, and I I was putting a bandaid on something on my neck. I had a problem, and and he saw me getting the bandaid out. Um, he saw me getting the bandaid out, out of the cloth, the cupboard, and he ran over and he jumped up on a chair. And he started looking all over his legs to try to find something that had blood on it so I could put a bandaid <laughs> on it. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and he was scrambling. And, and, and his mom said, uh, Samuel, I think that bandage for grandpa. And, but, but that thing in him that's so unashamed of having a need that he knew that I would want to meet. Yeah. Yeah. And by the in that moment, I wanted to cover him with band-aids because. Because that kid all day is going to be able to look, look, look at a bandit on his leg and go, my grandpa paid attention to me in my hurt. Mm. Mm. He paid attention to me, which is the need that is met by telling the truth about how I can be hurt. Like, like if your pain doesn't matter, you don't matter. And I'll tell him in that moment, I went ahead and I played along with him. And I'm go- I didn't shame him and say, Put, rub some dirt on it, Samuel, you don't have anything, you need a Band-Aid. I actually helped him look over and find a place where he'd picked a scab to put a Band-Aid on. Right? Because he, that little boy still hadn't learned how to not be himself yet to be loved. That boy is so innocently, wonderfully full of healthy shame, which is, Grandpa, I got a need, and I believe you're going to want to meet it. Okay. Now, in a fallen world with fallen parents, which means all of us, okay, we learn very quickly. We're so we're so committed to belonging to matter, but we learn very quickly we need to perform for our parents to belong in matter. And one of the ways we perform is we try to, in order in order to matter and belong to our parents, we can't let them have feelings. Like we can't do anything that they're going to have feelings about because they can't tolerate having their own feelings. So that's why you get statements like, go back to your room and come out when you have a smile on your face. Right. I can't tolerate you being a mess in front of me. So go fix yourself and then come back because I want a smiling child. It's happy. Mm-hmm. You know, a child says, I'm bored, and you say, go out and play. Well, bored is code for lonely. That child's got a need. Address the real need. Yeah. Something's going on in the heart of that child. Now, maybe you'd go out and play, but no. I mean, um, uh, you, you know, think about the way we parent. Like, we distract our kids. We give them a cookie to take away their feelings. You know, it's crazy what we do to help. To, we're medicating these children because we don't want them to have feelings in front of us. Yeah. So what we learn is that the thing that's wrong with me is my feelings. Yeah. Yep. That's when something breaks because now instead of being parented, we're parenting our parents by caretaking their feelings. We develop this thing called codependence. That means that now instead of having an internal locus of control, which is I have myself, I can bring to you, and that self is a needy human self, and I can give my, I can give you my true self. Okay. Instead, what happens is now I start having to manage who I am in front of you so that you won't have feelings, so you won't leave me. Because if you really knew me, the true part of me, you'd leave me. And I'm not talking about the part of me that does bad things, wrong things, simple things. I'm talking about the part of me that's afraid, that's sad, that's lonely, that's hurt. That part of me. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff, I was just, I just was uh, speaking at an event this last weekend um, about a lot of this. And one of the women raised her hand. She said, this is really hard for me to hear because... I've been taught that Christianity at the heart is just stoic stoicism, that it's just that the, the, the more mature I was, the less I was, I had feelings and needs. And I, I just, you know, and, and you could tell there was like a moment of just, 
not only clarity, she was starting to see that Jesus actually taught us the opposite. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That being needy is the entry point. Being like a little child is how we we come to him. But she, there was a, I mean, I just felt the deep sadness of a whole life that had been formed around this idea that I've got to not only not be needy, but make sure I don't feel anything. And she, in a lot of ways, she was like a robot, man, how she was even talking. And it just broke my heart. Yeah. And, and looking back at decades of being invested in that. Yeah. So I find one of the greatest obstacles to doing this kind of work is that we're so committed to what we've done for so long that we're, we were terrified to have to look back and grieve over what we maybe have lost or maybe have missed, especially Christian leaders. I, my greatest repentance over the last 17 years hasn't been some of the ways that I leaked out sideways. It's been over how much I, I, I even though my, my theology was so, honestly, it was, it was, it was rich and solid, right? But I know my practice was I just tried really hard. And I really tried really hard to not be in need. And I thought like this woman, the spiritual maturity was actually a growth toward less needy. Right. And, and then there's no way as a leader, I wasn't putting that off or even in my own family with my own children. And, and then I had to really repent of how I taught people how to try harder. Even though I was teaching them the book of Galatians, I'm still teaching them how to be robots because that's what they saw in me. And I think, I think where I'm really, where I'm at now, and I've been a believer for, you know, since 1980, I look down and I go, gosh, uh, spiritual maturity, and if you see, you'll see it now when you open the scripture, spiritual maturity, you recognize it when you see someone growing in their willing admission to their neediness. Yeah. <laughs> Even Jesus himself, fully God, fully man, we have to reckon with his humanity. And I say this way, Jeff, you're laughing because I know you, you know what I'm about to say. <laughs> Jesus was more comfortable as a man than we are. Okay. Um, because, and you see it, I just grabbed one incident in his life in the garden, you know, so in the garden, we have to deal with a, a God who's a man, God, man, fully God, fully man, who was feeling what fear. Yeah. Fathers are another way to do this thing that we have decided since before time. That's talked about in Genesis. Like, like I'm, this, why the incarnation occur? I'm about ready to do it. And I'm saying, is there, a, can we go to plan B here? Yeah. Is there another way? This is scary. <laughs> scary to me. He's so scared. He sweated drops of blood. Then we see him. It's one thing to be afraid. It's nothing to be alone and afraid. Yeah. So he said to his best friends, will you guys be with me in my hour of need? And then they come with him to the garden. And then what happens? They fall asleep. So now he's lonely because he's not with his guys. And then he's hurt. And he says, you couldn't even stay awake with me for a little while. Yeah. So we're seeing a God man who's afraid, he's hurt, he's lonely. Uh, and then we see he's angry, angry in the sense of passionate, like a willingness to go do. And I'm not talking about rage. That's something totally different we're going to teach about today. But right. there's a willingness in him to get up. And he says, not my will, but the Father's be done. And he gets up and walks to a cross because something matters. Hebrews says something mattered more to him than the pain he's about ready to go through. Yeah. And it's incredible. And he brings all that humanity to his father who brings him in, in, with a trust that the Father will give him what he needs to walk into what he's about ready to walk into. So in one sense, we see Jesus living out what Paul says when he says, he says, I'd either boast about my weakness, that the power of Christ or the God himself would dwell in me, that I'm actually, I'm at my greatest strength when I can admit my greatest weakness. Right. And that weakness, by the way, I'm going to go back to this. I'm afraid. I'm hurting. I'm lonely mm. and I'm sad or I do feel guilt mm. or I do feel shame, mm -hmm. whatever it is. I've even gladness. I don't know what to do with that. So um, that's vulnerable. And I, and I think I can, man, I got, I got so many books in front of me right now here sitting at my desk. I got Calvin in front of me. I got, but, but I'm just telling you what you see over and over again, you'll see it in the scriptures, but also see it in, in, in some of the best Christian writers and theologians is that there's the truth about God and there's the truth about me. And unless I can begin to wrestle with the truth about me and then come to grips with it and speak it, like not like name it, claim it, speak it, but like own it and confess it and tell the truth about it. It's the truth about me and that recognition that allows me to apprehend and experience the truth about God. And if you don't, if you want to see what that looks like, read the Psalms. Yep. 
A man after God's own heart was an adulterer and a murderer and a liar. But he learned how to tell the truth about his insides. And he cried out to his father openly in these Psalms. He saw it. He felt it. He spoke it. And he was a man in need and a man after God's own heart. Mm. So that, in fact, then I'll tell you what ends up happening is we end up getting what we're made to have, which is we're in a relationship, not based on what we do, but we're in a relationship because we're unconditionally loved. Yeah. And, and then, it, and then these relationships become the anecdote to our, to our codependence, where instead of having to perform to be loved, to make sure you're okay, so you won't leave me, I start learning how to tell the truth about myself to you. And I experienced the opposite of what I thought was going to happen. So instead of having to create and present a false self, I can actually tell the truth about my real self, which is this needy self, and I'm still loved. And when that happens over and over and over again, that's what transforms us. That's what we finally start to believe the gospel and the love of Christ changes us because, because I'm actually being loved for who I really am, not being loved for who I'm showing you that I am. Yeah. And that's that, by the way, that issue is true across the board of in every seat in probably most churches in the world today, but especially for Christian leaders that don't think that they have permission to be human. And then what do I do with the fact that I'm coming to grips with? I think I am. And I want to help people, but man, I need help myself. Yeah. And that's where, you know, I'm not selling Tim, man, because we're getting 20 intakes a week. But I'm, I'm also saying there's a great need out there. There is a huge need. Out huge there. need. And I needed it. I needed it 20 years ago. And I just thank God there were some guys that knew what I needed because I didn't mm-hmm. know. I didn't even know myself. And, and that's where our relationship started, too, was I remember being at a SOMA retreat and I was talking about some of this and the room melted down, you know. Yeah. Um, and I remember just looking and going, man. Uh, it's amazing how when we're given permission to tell the truth, how freeing it is. Yeah. And the gospel ought to do that. Otherwise, it's just it's just a heavy backpack of rocks in it. Yep. That was a watershed moment for our family of churches. I mean, it. Yeah, I mean. Hmm. I remember it. It changed us. Yep. And there was was not a dry eye in the room. And I know my elders after that came to me and said, that's what you need. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I had a lot of fear around that because I, I didn't know what it, what, what that meant. I didn't know what would happen. I didn't know what was on the other side of that, that door, you know, once I walked through it and yet, man, I'm so thankful. Hmm. Permission to be human. Yep. Beautifully made in the image of God. Amen. Being able to present your whole self to God. Yeah. And knowing he's a father that really does love you that you don't have to work for. Yes. So good. It's what everybody longs for. Oh, it, it is. Yeah. And everything else I'm doing to medicate is an attempt to get, I say this, any addictive behavior, which is a compulsive behavior, is an attempt to get what I was, a legitimate need met without paying the price to get the real need met. Mm. And the real need is intimacy. The real need is I belong in matter apart from performance. Yeah. And that thing that I feel when I'm with you, when I know I'm loved by you, and I know I'm loved by you because you know the me that you're loving and I know you know it. I, you know, we do this all the time. Well, um, you know, someone's love. Oh, man, you're, man, Jeff, you know, I love you. You're gifted leader, good friend. And then you're over there going, yeah, if you only knew. Yep. Yep. And if you did know, well, you wouldn't be saying any of that. Yep. And what's, what's so sad about that is that so the, the lie we believe is if I don't keep, if I'm not, if I don't continue to be a great leader, if I don't continue to, teach a great message or write a great book or whatever it is that I thought you love about me, then, then I'm going to lose it. And so then the compulsion just grows, right? Like now I got to get better at it. I got to keep it going. If I, you know, if I don't do it this time, what will happen? And it's such a sad, it's a scary place to be as a leader. Honestly, a lot of fear around that. Also a lot of hurt because you just go, do you, do they, am I really loved? And, um, and then you keep playing that game, man. It's so destructive, so painful. Well, and all the current research is kind of proven out, you know, we're learning so much about the brain now. I always say, um, the, the, uh, you know, if I've, I've been to Israel, I studied there and I, I think one of the most profound 
truths about biblical archaeology is that there's never been a discovery in the ancient world that has contradicted the, the historical narrative of the scriptures. That everything we have dug up, everything we have found has proven skeptics wrong over and over and over again. Well, there was no such king. Well, here he is. We found the coin or we found, or there's no, that didn't really happen. Well, they are, they dug around and go, oh my God, there's the burned wall around Jericho, whatever it is. They've always, well, you would also expect that the more we learn about how God made us, it would confirm and affirm the things the Bible teaches about how we're made. And one of these has to do with how the brain is constructed. And very simply, I would say this, we feel before we think. Mm-hmm. And God made us that way. Yeah. And Jonathan Haidt writes, and he's got a great book called The Righteous Mind. He, he describes the brain like a little man riding on an elephant. And the little man, the little man's the, the rational cognitive part of the brain. And the elephant is the limbic part that has the amygdala where we have feelings. And, and by the amygdala is what processes all of life before the rational brain can make sense of it. <clears throat> and he says this, he says, there's a little man riding on this elephant trying to make sense of why he's going down that path. <laughs> but the elephant is taking it. Yeah. And, and unless we deal with the elephant, we're not dealing with the person. And the elephant is where we f- feel. The elephant is in the limbic brain where we have memories and where we connect and where we experience this thing called um, emotional attunement and limbic resonance where we know we're with somebody and they're with us. And that doesn't happen in the rational part of the brain, which is why so much for so many believers, their, their spiritual life is so stale I would say it's like eating shredded wheat with no milk because they're trying to operate with God just off the little man. And they're not dealing with the elephant that's moving all their actions and activities and their decisions and their morality. And they're going for a ride on this elephant, but they're not dealing with the elephant. Hmm. And God's the one that made us. And the more we're discovering about the brain, you go, oh my goodness. Like I, I what they're discovering about how we're wired is also what the Bible teaches us about how we're made to live. Yes. In these connected, intimate, emotionally driven relationships, even this, there's a branch of uh, there's a branch of therapy called cognitive behavioral therapy (CBT). Been very popular in the church because it's so cognitive. If I can change the way I, you think, I'm a therapist, so I, know, I was trained in this. I, if I change the way you, you think, it'll change the way you live. And even CBT now, because of the brain re- research, has had to tweak the model and say it's now cognitive, behavioral, emotional therapy. Like they're having to go, well, we got to deal with the emotions of people because the physiological, the neurobiology has proven that you better because although you can get short-term results from cognition, you don't get long-term change from it. That's right. Which is why any model of how we grow and change in Christ or in relationships better deal with our emotions. And that's not a female thing. No. That's a joke. This is a human thing. That's right. And I find women are more resistant oftentimes because they think they're further along because stereotypically, you know, people say women are more emotional. Well, that's that's not true of all women, but that's a generality, right? Stereotype. But I go, a lot of women are more emotional, but they'll use their emotions to stay away from their feelings. And a lot of guys are quick to admit how stupid they are. They're, they're emotionally constipated. They're quicker to get help around this area. But either way, it's a human thing I'm talking about. Yeah, It's not a male or female thing. And, and I don't, that stereotype is a gross one, but it's also kind of the way most people view. I'm not sure I understand. Oh, like, watch just talk to me there. Um, but anyway, <laughs> that's so funny. That my, my wife just said, I'm not sure I understand. Um, <laughs> I, I hope what I just said was understandable. Um, that was very understandable. It's hilarious. Anyway, Love so it. here's what I'll say for me is I, if I don't attend to my heart, the best I have to offer you is advice and answers, hmm. but I can't give you myself and I can't give you a transformational relationship with a living God that loves us. Hmm. I can hmm. talk about him. I can tell you about him. I can teach you about him, but you're not going to experience him with me. Yeah. You're not. Yeah. The sad part about, about that is that's why so many people feel so lonely and, and remain so isolated, even though they're surrounded by people like in the church or in a group or whatever, because they have no access to that. So, so with this performance-based identity, okay, and the amount of work that it takes to manage relationships so people don't reject me, that's what causes burnout and exhaustion. That's right. Okay, this is huge. Relationships by definition are not exhausting. We're made for them. What's exhausting is the work of managing them, which is managing them in my codependence where I don't get to show up with you, I'm supposed to make you okay with me. So that hypervigilance is always wondering how I'm doing with you 
That's what's exhausting me. And this 43% of ministers or 42%, <clears throat> they call it some of they're talking about is decision fatigue. Like I can't please anybody. Um, uh, we, we tell you to wear a mask. Oh no. We tell you not to wear a mask. Oh no. Like, like just being torn apart internally in their churches. And it's the exhaustion of the management of those relationships. That's burning out these leaders. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's like the fan in the background of your computer. Cause it's running too many programs all at once. It's like, it's yes. got to keep that thing cooling down and that's, what's going on in your brain. And, yeah. and, and, and I just say, that's what, that's what burns us out and exhausts us. I, I have a lot of relationships I'm involved in now. And I get physically tired, Jeff, but I don't get as emotionally tired. Okay. Because I'm not, I'm not managing you when I'm with you or I'm managing you less. Cause I've been dealing with it. I've been working on this for 17 years. I've been showing up practicing, telling the truth about myself and talking about my neediness emotionally Yeah, and over time. And then having experiences where some people pull away and they have, but then I have relationships like you, or you, you're like drawn to me. Like, Oh my goodness. Like here's another human being I can be with. And yeah. I've experienced enough of that, that it just allows me to care about people without having to caretake people. I can shepherd people without being responsible for them. If that makes any sense. Yeah. I'm responsible yeah. to them without being responsible for them ultimately. And I can love like crazy. And that's not, a, that's, I get, again, I, I get physically tired, but man, um, my capacity now to sit with someone and hear about their life and not take ownership of what I'm hearing, but still love and be with them. Man, that's just, I thank God for the miracle of that. And anyone that's, that knew me 17 years ago when I started this particular piece of my journey would also say that's a miracle. Mm. Schultz an Enneagram 8 leader that just got the trail of bodies behind him. Mm. And I did, by the way, I was accumulating bodies, even as I was growing stuff. Mm. And now anyone that knows me now and close to me would say, man, it's amazing that I'm, I'm around this guy that can be so strong, that can be so visionary, that can be so boxes way through issues. You know, that's the Enneagram hey, that, that actually a healthier eight brings all that strength to care for the weak yeah. and to come alongside those that are in need. And because I'm growing more comfortable with my own humanity, I'm less judgmental of people around me that are human. Mm. Bam. Mm. Like and then all of a sudden, like now you're a magnet. Yep. Yeah. That compassion and that empathy, that ability to be with people. It's, it's so profound and needed. Anyone who tells me they had a long time, someone say I'm harder on myself than anyone else. Well, that's not possible. If you're hard on yourself, that means you're judging yourself. And if you're judging yourself, you're judging yourself by a standard. And then I said, well, what is that standard? Well, that standard is everybody else, yeah. which means you're judging everybody else. And they, you may, they may not be able to tell you, but they feel it. Your kids feel it. Your wife feels it. The people in your church feel it. So until I start being okay with being human, I'm not going to be able to give anyone else around me permission to be human. Until I can be in need, no one around me is going to be able to be needy without me judging their need and then resenting their need because their neediness is work for me because it's my job to make them okay. Yeah. And now, and as a pastor, uh, it's over. Uh, your church got past 10 people. You're already past your capacity. You're dead. That's right. And, and the, the work it takes, this work we do to, is hard work, Jeff. You know, you've done it. You're doing it still. So do I. I always tell guys and men and women, I say, look, this is hard work to learn how to tell the truth about yourself. But it's a lot harder hiding. Mm. It's a lot harder holding the beach ball under the water. Yeah, it is. And I would just say today with where we are in the world, with everything going on, the invitation would be that you, you don't have to hold that beach ball under the water. Mm. Um, now, if you let go of it, you don't know where it's going, but you can let go of it in front of someone that's going to care about you and go, retrieve that beach ball and bring it back and you can start talking about your life. And that's what intimate relationships do. Intimate mm -hmm. relationships are by definition therapeutic. I'm a therapist, but what I do is not therapy. I do intimate relationships and that's what the gospel does. And that's what the church is called to. And that's what pastors do. And that's what, anyway, so um, you got, I mean, obviously I'm on a tear on this because this stuff matters to me. And I've had to repent of so many years of, of leading people um, away from their neediness. And I'm just pretty committed now. I'll spend the rest of my life trying to help people see their need because I'm pretty confident with what Christ does with people that are in need. Mm. He moves towards them. He sure does. Yeah. He didn't come for the healthy. He came for the no, sick. That's right.
blessed are those who blank, blank, blank. Yeah, Jeff, we're coming to the end of our time, but if you could encourage our listeners just like what they heard, where they're at, like as they think about their own emotional health, um, what what advice or exhortation would you give them right now? Um, the, the, we got where we got in relationships, hmm. that codependence, that trying to caretake people around us, that performance-based identity that's afraid to tell the truth about me. We got there in significant relationships and we're not going to get out of where we are apart from significant relationships which means that the journey we're describing cannot, by definition, cannot be done alone. That's right. It cannot be done alone. And, it, and you may be in a, in a spiritual community where that can be done, um, but not always. Because I found oftentimes the church can be pretty unforgiving for honest people, um, ironically. Uh, it's the one place that the invitation is, tell the truth. But it's the one place where, because we're always comparing our insides to everyone else's outside, their outsides always beat our insides. And so we stay quiet. We're afraid to tell anyone what's really going on. I would encourage them. They got to find a safe person. That's what we do, actually. But find a safe person that you can sit down with. And it may not be the first person you try, but there's got to be someone you can start talking about your story with and start talking about, this is how I'm imploding, or this is what it feels like to me. You know, I'm, I, I, I've never harmed my child, but sometimes I want to drop kick that kid into the front yard because I'm raging because I cannot control their behavior. Mm. Um, or a pastor who's hurting doesn't know where to turn. Or <clears throat> a cup, you know, couples that are raging at one another because they're so afraid and don't know how to deal with it. Like I need help. And by the way, that's the, that's there's the out right there. I need help. Mm. Mm. I need help, and I got to go somewhere that can help me, or go to someone yeah. that can help me. Yeah. And my needing help is not what's wrong with me. It's actually the most human thing about me. Amen. Yeah. And I would say the longer you wait for that, the longer you wait to not be able to live. Mm. Mm. Oh, man. Thank you. Thank you so mm-hmm. much. You know, I, I'm going to, I continue to recommend people to Tin Man and there, I know there's lots of other good work out there, but if people wanted to find out more about, the work that you guys are doing with Tin Man Ministries, where, where would you want them to be directed to? Yeah, they could go to tinman.life. Uh, there's also some messages on there. There's some teaching segments I've done, some other podcasts that I've done talking about different stuff on there. Uh, we've got a whole team of 24, 25 coaches that work with people. It's a lot more information on that. We do, we do therapeutic, four-day therapeutic intensives where we do about the equivalent of a year's worth of work in four or five days. Um, uh, we also do one-on-one with people. We do groups. We do a lot of Zoom because we work with people all over the country and around the world. So I'll go to tinman.life. And I, I say that to say we're not the only one doing this kind of work, um, but there's a need for this kind of work, which is why we're doing it. And yeah. um, uh, again, I wouldn't want anyone to get off here and just go double down and try harder with what they've been doing uh, or they're going to get the same results. Like it's going to have to be a moment of insanity of I'm going to call somebody. There's a place on the website actually where you can go and schedule a 15 minute conversation with one of our folks. and. They'll kind of say, hey, tell us how you're doing, what's going on, and very gently kind of get an idea of, I describe it like what that itch is in the middle of your back that you can't scratch, you know, and to find out whether or not there's someone that we can help or that we can refer to someone else to help. But uh, my greatest my greatest passion is that people would make that first reach out to say, I do need help, and I'm dying. Yeah. I'm yeah. dying. And, um, or, or maybe I'm not dying now, but I see, I see it. Like I see it coming and I don't know what to do about what I'm feeling, but I need somewhere to process it because I can tell you this, if you jam it back down and you try to stuff it, um, um, it's going to come back. Yeah. That elephant's going somewhere. It's got to go. That beach ball is going to come out of the water. Oh, but it's ugly when it does. So that's what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I mean, the reason why I'm heavy on the podcast is because not only have I been in my life is different. I mean, mm-hmm. God's just done a, a beautiful work in me through the work that you guys have, you, you, you being on the other side of me, you know, and just being that place, that safe place. So uh, I want others to get that. If you're listening and you're at that place where you're like, I don't know what to do, please reach out. Uh, Tim Man Ministries would be my first recommendation personally, but I know there's others. Just don't stay alone in this. 
go find a safe person, find a, find a safe place, get the help you need because your heart, your heart matters and God cares a lot about that. So Jeff, thank you so much for being with us. Are you going to say something else? No, I just, I was just looking at you and um, just give a lot of gratitude that, um, mm. you know, I know what it's like to be a lonely leader. Mm. And uh, I also know, I know what it's like to um, not, not be as lonely. Oh. And, um, and I was just looking at you thinking about how not lonely I am when I sit with you mm. and that's a gift and I'm grateful for it. And I got a lot of sadness that I did so much for so many years where I didn't know what that was like with people I love, by the way, I was doing my a good night, man. I was doing my best. I just, I had just those tools that are in a child had atrophied in me on my way to surviving life. And I'm, I'm just been exercising them for a while now. So that part of me is just the, ele- the I'm, I'm listening to the elephant a whole lot better. <laughs> so good, man. Yeah, I, I've had people tell me they I didn't get it that they felt really lonely with me. And, uh, and that, that has definitely changed and is changing more and more as I'm, yeah. as I'm learning how to be, be attuned to what's actually real about myself and my needs and show up with somebody else, honestly, who can be on the other side of me and, and show up. So Jeff, you've been one of those friends for me. I'm just thankful for you. I love you, Jeff. Love you too. Right. Hey, if you've been listening in for a while, um, just want you to know we have a lot of resources to serve you. Our desire is just to come around leaders like those that are listening right now and help you as best as possible. We're going to keep re- redirecting when we when we know our limitations, which is why I wanted Jeff on uh, next week. We're going to be having Todd Wormers on, who's a part of what uh, Jeff is doing. He's part of uh, Tin Men as well, a good friend of mine and guy I want you to hear from and learn from. So press into that, but also. Become a Saturate member if you aren't yet, because we look, we have a lot of resources and around this topic in particular that we love to make available for you. Uh, so take take a moment, think about that. We, we're here to serve you as a leader and you as a church. And if we can help, uh, let us know. Reach out, send to info at saturatetheworld.com and we'll, we'll try to help you our be- as best as we possibly can. Again, Jeff, thank you so much. You are a gift to me. You're a gift to the church. Glad to have you here. Thanks, Jeff.